Welcome to the show. Great to be with you today. Paul George here, and the band is back together. It has been a while. It has been a while. I've been approached by several people. What's going on? Deacon Adam Conk is in the studio, along with Uncle Chad. Adam, like, life update, man. Like, you've been out and about, you know, all over. It's just been a busy time. Yeah, we had a, um, a priest friend's funeral last Friday, and then new work stuff. Previous Friday and the previous Friday. I guess Vacation, it's been a month since we the did The previous this. Friday. That's right. You Disney World. I mean, you've had like... It's, we, it's, it's been, been a month a since yeah. the band, the whole band, the three of us have, have been back together. And you're in the producer seat today. You Kinda decided... You're, it's like Summer Adam is here. You pick Summer Jam to start the show. And you're feeling good. I can see it in your face. Well rested. You're well. looking tan. Tan, yeah, nice. I yeah. have been cutting some grass. <laughs> so anyway, great to be with you guys. Thanks for listening in on KLFT Radio ninety point five here in Acadiana or on the podcast wherever you are listening. Great to be with you. We're kind of starting our summer series. We've come out of you know Easter and Pentecost and and we're in ordinary time. Just so ordinary. The church, but it's summer, so it's unordinary. Particularly because summer is great, right? Kids are out of school, vacations are happening, the weather's whatever it is, wherever you live. It's rainy right now, at least where I live. That's right. So anyway, we're going to have a summer series, however we can gather, depending on how often Adam is on vacation or not, <laughs> doing his thing. Adam's high maintenance. Yep. So we've got a great show planned for you today. So Chad, uh, it's been a while, but I'm wondering... Do you have a have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? So I, was, I, I was trying to decide between two have you seens. This is dangerous actually when that yes. happens. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, but reminding myself that it's ordinary time. During ordinary time, there's green vestments, right? For the priests. For the so, most part. This is why I'm choosing this one. Right. For the green. For the green. So imagine, imagine you go to sleep and you wake up and you have a different accent. Wow. Be wild, right? That actually happens to me sometimes. In your dream, <laughs> yeah. maybe. I mean, I choose the accent. It's not like I can't oh. not. Like what? What's your favorite accent to go to? It depends on my mood, man. Oh, your mood right now. What would you go to? <sighs> I don't know. Probably an Irish one. <laughs> Hello, Marianne and the kids. Okay. Would you like some breakfast? <laughs> Perfect. Very green. <laughs> yeah. Right? So this woman in Australia had a throat surgery. And so she's been living in Australia for 20 years. Okay. Moved there when she was like eight years old. So she had an Australian accent. Sure. She's young enough. She woke up and had an Irish accent. You're kidding. Yeah. From the surgery. Uh, like yeah, the something way, like, like that. Her, her vocal box Just tra- messed with her it. and somehow she woke up. Did she get like a vocal box transplant from an Irishman? I don't know, man. <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Well, I unless, mean, unless you got to go back home in Australia and explain it to your family. Hmm. If you could get uh, a vocal box <laughs> surgery, which one would you insert? Barry White. Bear- <laughs> you did Barry White. White. Really? Mm-hmm. What's your best wow. Barry White? Oh, I can't do it. That's why. <laughs> That's why I need the surgery. <laughs> I definitely go for a Morgan Freeman. Really? Oh, That's yeah. Good. I mean, it's just smooth, velvety <laughs> voice. Samuel L. Jackson. I yeah. didn't know y'all were going to go a person. I thought you would go more of a language of a vocal oh, box, right. you know, you know, something like that. But I think I would pick Irish, actually. I think what would be really Scottish. hysterical is like if I woke up 
and had a Mandarin accent. Yes. <laughs> because I, I don't I don't look anything like, right? Someone would have a Mandarin accent. <laughs> right. But I just woke up speaking Mandarin, which would be just yeah, hysterical. We don't, we don't think about that often, but because America is such a melting pot, we'll meet people that have certain ethnicities that could have any accent. You right. know, I could meet someone with an Indian ethnicity that has a British accent or Korean ethnicity that has English accent and like we're okay with it. That's cool. But like some parts of the world, like you don't meet Chinese <laughs> people that have like an Irish accent, for right. example. It just doesn't happen. Right. right. But you would rarely meet someone, you know, tall Caucasian who has a Mandarin accent. Yes. Like that would be just so random. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Like it's just China's not exactly a melting pot, right? Like people don't move there and no. grow up there. Right. Typically. Yeah. No. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of crazy because so, like in Pentecost, like we were reading, you know, the, in the book of Acts, um, all through Pentecost and, you know, like the, the Holy Spirit would hit and like people would speak in different languages. Like mm. I know that we, you know, we're kind of. had the perfect accent too. Kind of <laughs> like, joke, joking like about All it. these different <laughs> countries would come around and you'd speak, like you, not only would you speak, I don't know, whatever, what are these countries? Egyptian? I don't know. Not only would you speak their language. Parthian, Medes, and Elamites. But you'd sound just like them. Oh, that'd be so cool. That's it. And it, and yeah. look, it's hard to explain. Like when we read the book of Acts, we're like, oh, that, you know, that happened then. But, you know, the, the spiritual gifts and the movement of the Holy Spirit, like, you know, if you just let the Holy Spirit move, like, you know, the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, right? Like He it, sure it, can. And, he can give you an Irish accent. Absolutely. I actually... I fit the right in. What a beautiful gift. And honestly, like I had an eyewitness of like uh, people praying one time and this person uh, received the gift of tongues just in like they were praying and it it just happened. And so I'm kind of laughing because it it was actually funny because I'm just like, you know, was like there, but I wasn't, I was just like watching and they're praying over this person and the person started speaking in tongues, but didn't like never did that. And they were speaking in German, but nobody knew. And the person next to them was like, they're speaking in German. They're like, do you know German? No, I don't know German. How'd you know? Like, I don't know. And then they're like, well, what is he saying? And they interpreted the German, what he was, what the person was saying in German. And I was like, that, that's crazy. Well, what was it like? I a, can't explain a it. A recipe for divine German beer? I mean, what was it? <laughs> no, that would have been cool. It was like a it was like scripture. It was weird. It was like, you know, it was like a psalm or something that the person was saying in German and the other person was interpreted but didn't speak German. Mm. How do you explain it? Maybe things just sound uh sweeter in German. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard I to imagine. Know. I don't see too many romantic movies based in Germany. You know, Italy <laughs> But France, <clears throat> no, you don't. Schlossengarten. You're like, why you're mad? You're like, I'm not mad. You know, I'm saying your hair is like the sun. <laughs> I know I sound upset, but. <laughs> right? Yeah. The but this is like the Book of Acts. Like people were, you know, speaking in tongues, and then other people were were hearing the language, like, and they didn't speak the language, and then they were interpreting what they were saying. It was it, you know, the movement of the Holy Spirit, and and I don't know how that, you know, it's crazy, but. You know, I think in a lot of ways that we, we've we've tried to like contain the power of God, and and just kind of like, you know, almost like just put it in like a bottle. Yes, just like here it is. But what would happen if like we really rub the bottle and just let the Spirit move? 
you know, it'd be a little messy and we're not okay with that. I mean, it's the perpetual temptation of humanity is to limit God to our own standards, our own imagination. I mean, that's what happened in the garden, you know, through temptation, like the devil actually tempted us to do this, but we've been doing it ever since inside and outside the church because we're limited beings. And so we want to limit everything. It's, it's not irrational that we would want to do these things, but that's part of the spiritual conversion is that we learn to live a spiritual life that is a life open to infinity, open to the infinite being of God. A spiritual life is a life that seeks to be unlimited by God, not to limit God by our own limits. Yeah, so just recently I had breakfast with a former student of mine who has been a missionary in another country. So, you know, I often talk about on the show, if, if we actually begin to have more of a global view of the church, right, a universal view of, of God and, and the church, you know, more less than just like what our, our minute experiences here in America, right? Like our, our heart, like our minds and hearts would change, you know, so it's been in the third world as a missionary, right? Just preaching the gospel. You know, there and, and there's, you know, there's very little red tape, right? And mm-hmm. democracy, you know, bureaucracy around that. So we meet for, for breakfast and there's this guy outside of the restaurant, a uh, young guy who looks like he's kind of like a wanderer, you know? And uh, so we walk up to him. Not, the normal thing in America, right? Even like as a Christian, would be like, hey, here's, here's a gift card. Here's some money. Um, here's directions to the homeless shelter, um, or here's Catholic charities. And those are all good things. Like we have great resources. Those resources oftentimes just keep us from actually ministering to people. Right. So, you know, I'm kind of just stuck in my American church mind. Like, Oh, here's everything I should do to get you somewhere else besides with me. Right. (laughs) Right. And so, um, guy was just like, starts talking to him so we start talking he's like do you mind if we just pray with you so the guy was like i guess <laughs> so then we just start praying with the guy right and then he's crying and and like god's just moving and i'm thinking to myself i would have missed this opportunity i would have missed this opportunity because i was just thinking in a box i was thinking about like what are steps to help this person instead of just helping the person and ministering to him in that moment and then I'm like, okay, that, that was great. And, and then he's like, well, why don't you just come eat breakfast with us and have conversation with us? So now we're having breakfast with the guy, right, who's homeless and wandering. And I'm thinking this is, this is the way Jesus would operate. And I have kind of been on the sideline of that, just kind of like, oh, I know we're supposed to do that, but I don't really because that's a little messy and we have better ways of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that speaks to the heart of all of American Catholics and Christians is this this fear that we have of losing control in general. Now, I know that's a very human thing, and we'll find it in every culture, but in our particular culture, losing control is very frightening. But, I mean, if we're going to be like Christ, he only knew what was going to happen because he was God, but he let the needs of the people around him determine his, his day that day. But we like to be able to schedule a breakfast with our friend very control the parameters, right? We're meeting with this friend and that friend and not other friends because of this particular dynamic. And then, well, we, I can't just invite a homeless person to breakfast without consulting my friends because they all had their own idea of what was going to happen at this breakfast. And, you know, so we, 
we lose control when we let God control things. And this is a daily activity of Christ and of the spiritual Christian, is that I'm going to let God determine my agenda. You know, if I'm going to have breakfast, great. I'll show up and God's going to determine what breakfast is like. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it's going to be like. And I'm going to let God control it. This is how missionaries live in these foreign lands, and this is why they're so happy. Or some of them are so happy. Yeah, I like that. I like that you break it down like that because I think it's worth. I think it's kind of worth thinking about because uh, we have like our ideas of success, right? Like maybe it's like we have six cars and two kids and a golden doodle and a pool in the backyard, you know. Mm-hmm. And and anything that gets in the way of that is kind of an inconvenience. Like our idea of what a successful day looks like. So maybe it's not the six cars, whatever. But my successful day is I go to work and people don't bother me and <laughs> and I, I get my Good work luck. done. I do my spreadsheets <laughs> and. And and fill out my paperwork and file it, and I don't really talk to my coworkers because they're kind of annoying sometimes. And then I head home and uh, you know listen, maybe don't listen to my spouse, listen, maybe don't listen to my kids, you know whatever like whatever I'm feeling in the moment, and go to bed, and then start the same thing over and over again. And it doesn't really allow room for God to enter into that space and say, um, and let let God move you. I th- the that person, the the guy that Paul had breakfast with, I just think that he lives his day differently. Like mm-hmm. the way that he looks at his day is not, I have these goals to accomplish in order for me to be successful, but it's it's more like, you know, where is, God, where do you want me to go today? And that just looks, it makes your whole day look different. Even if you're doing the same thing, even if you're still going to work, even if you're still coming home to your spouse and feeding your kids or whatever else you're doing, um, the people, the way you encounter people looks different and the way you do your work looks different. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a whole perspective shift to the biblical worldview, in particular the New Testament, and the way that Christ is calling us to evangelize and and seek Him and other people. Like everyone is an opportunity to encounter Christ. Every person we go through throughout our day, you know, including the homeless person that we encountered and the person that you were with. Like it's one thing. Like you go to breakfast with a person, and like you have that that expectation to eat breakfast with them, to enjoy a meal, whatever it is, and you know that they're expecting something and you don't want to step on their toes. But imagine what it does for them to bring someone else into that. Right. Like for them to encounter Christ in a, in a like they're encountering Christ too in the same way that you are. And it was transformational for Paul to encounter that person and have that person come into his life, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. Like when you said like he looks at his day differently. And I think that's what happens when not only do we have a personal conversion <clears throat> to Christ and we're living a life of prayer, but we experience the church and the way God moves and the Holy Spirit outside of our normal, you know, structure, right? And going to the third world or seeing the church and God move in different ways, right? America's stuck. It's just stuck and fighting about like liturgy. Like that's where the church is. It's just strange when people are dying spiritually, like literally. And <clears throat> I think he just structures his day differently. God, interrupt my day. Like, like take my day and you own it. Like, and that's different than the way I often look at my day. It's like, no, I, gotta, I got time and schedule and things to do and, and you know, work. And, and I know that. Like, but, but am I allowing God to interrupt my day with people, with opportunities to like be radical about my faith with with folks and honestly like you know i've kind of just been having like honestly on the radio like a reconversion you know as i'm walking through the book of acts and seeing the church in a different light and and our response to that is 
is crucial, you know, and, you know, I think oftentimes we look at the church structure itself as like, they should be doing more. And the reality is like, no, we should be doing more. Mm. And when we, like you and I, and people listening start doing more, like that impacts the church. Like the church begins to respond because people on the grassroots level begin to stir up the spirit and God begins to move. And the church is like, what do we, whoa, wow. Like, okay. You know, and that's important. And I think this touches on something that's very at the heart of the gospel. St. Paul talks about often, but this difference between living according to the spirit or according to the flesh. So, or, or worldly life. So a spiritual life is one that's open to God. There's this posture of openness and docility and whatever God wants, I'm going to do. That's the spiritual person. And the worldly person, the person that lives according to the flesh, it's not necessarily that we're talking about sins of lust or other things that are fleshy or like gluttonous. We're just talking about a life that is worldly, a life that is revolving around the things the world cares about, schedules and deadlines and policies and best practices and um, (laughs) risk management and like all these things that are not bad. These aren't sinful Mm. things. It's not a sin to do these things. But at the same time, these are things that don't exist in heaven. Right. These are worldly things. And so the spiritual man, as St. Paul says, is one that is spiritual, but in this world. So like living in it, but is open to God. And a man according to the flesh loses that openness because they become a worldly person. And I think what disgusts us most as Christians is when we realize we live a worldly life and not a spiritual life, and we live in a worldly church and not a spiritual church, a church that is great at the worldly things but is lacking in the openness to God. But you're right, Paul, it starts with us. You know, Am I a spiritual person in that sense of being open to God and docile to Him, or am I a worldly person, a person that is really good at the things the world cares about, sacrificing that openness to God and His Spirit? Amen to that. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you again. Thanks for listening here on KLFT Radio 90.5 in Acadiana. Super excited uh, to have the band back together. So if you listen on the podcast, you've been around, been listeners, wondering how Adam has been MIA. He's just taking a hiatus, a little breaky break. It's been great. <laughs> a little breaky break. You started on vacation. It's just like, I'm not coming back for a while. <laughs> but we did also have like the Bronco raffle. You know, the winner yeah. was announced and there was, a, you know, a, a drawing for all that. So that's all over and that was busy. And then May's busy. You, you yeah. know, you started s- some new work at mm-hmm. John Paul the Great Academy. And, then, you know, it's just been May for us is like the busiest month of the year. Hands down. We got multiple birthdays, anniversaries, graduation, a confirmation. We, you know, like it was just it was crazy. So I'm excited mm-hmm. for summer. 
here we are. Maybe I can have all my kids in January and just let January be the big month for me. Which right after Christmas, you don't want that. I know, but then you just wrap it all into one. You just then your kids will hate you. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> at some point, I feel like I mean, they're gonna hate, hate me anyway. For trust sure. me, your some kids point, are gonna hate you at, at some, some point. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta be okay with it. I yes. think. Yes. I'm not there yet. I mean, my kid, I, he he has his moments, you know, where I think he doesn't like me, but. <laughs> I'm like, he's not even smiling at me today, Abigail. Not once. Yeah, you know what's weird is like when <laughs> you an infant. <laughs> when you feel rejected by your six month old. Yeah. It might be tapping into something else. <laughs> it's like, hey Lord, uh, reveal uh, you're revealing all my wounds to me from my six month year old. <laughs> he doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. Well, there seems to be a natural progression of like mommy and baby and dad's there but then pretty soon after i would say like two or three years old four years old like daddy's the best yeah and so there's a transition and then eventually it's like y'all are both the worst i don't know paul can speak to that yeah yeah no it it goes in phases and you just kind of have to like you know like when you get on a roller coaster and they're just like buckle up like you know or they won't let you it's just kind of like you have to ride it out man that's that's all i can say as long as you're riding together mom and dad (laughs) yeah like and that's huge key is like you got to just be together and grind it out and learn how to play good cop, bad cop, you know? <laughs> you know? So in our family, it's just bad cop, bad cop. Poor kids. <laughs> Poor kids. <laughs> Poor kids. Bad Unless cop. our grandparents come in. You'd be a good cop. Yeah. That's All right. True. So uh, so the last few shows, at least for the most part, we've been, we reinstated a segment from a long time ago called Weird Catholic Stuff. You guys remember that? Yeah. So, do you want to say it? We don't have a jingle. Weird. Catholic stop. Yeah. Let's see if Chad can do it better. We're Catholic stop. <laughs> Whoa. He puts a little like like gr- punchy. Like grind in his voice. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So okay, weird. <laughs> I was gonna say something, I decided against it. <laughs> so speaking of voice boxes mm-hmm. or voice change or whatever. From Aussie to Ireland. We went from like evangelization to like someone, you know, getting a voice box, you know, transformation. Which is interesting. So, um, have you guys ever heard of Saint Apollina? No, you have not, because I'm looking at your faces, <laughs> and you're like, "No, this is, does nope. not register." A P P O O L L O N I A Apollina Apollina. She could be the subject of a song, like yeah. a really good song. So her voice actually uh, changed in a bad way. Uh, so she uh, was um, an old deaconess mm-hmm. <laughs> way oh, way back in deaconesses. the day yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. kind of like adam but <laughs> but he doesn't have the ness at the right. end right <laughs> just no i don't no you don't no we're Catholic. i am adam <laughs> and i am deacon um so she fell victim to persecution she was a christian obviously in uh alexandria egypt right which was not alexandria louisiana no okay. no. no you're persecuted just living there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> pretty much it's it's, it's like I'm sure we have some listeners a town it's uh yeah no i think you kind of get it right so, so <laughs> christians uh fled the city apollina was seized by the mob okay so this is a woman seized by the mob and they beat her <laughs> and knocked all her teeth out. Oh now, my god! Sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't mean to, but all of them, like none were left. Poor thing. Yeah. So, but her, so her voice changed, like so she couldn't talk in her own language, right? So I don't know if you've ever not had teeth, but <laughs> I haven't. It's been a long time. Um, I had a um, there was a guy in the town I grew up with who 
he didn't have any teeth. He had dentures, but he would take them out, and then his total voice would change. Really? Yes. <laughs> he had had a lisp. Wow. I, say, I never is, thought about that. My name is Royce Willowford. <laughs> and he'd put his teeth in, and he'd be like, my name is Royce Willowford. <laughs> and he'd take his teeth out and be like, my name is Royce Willowford. What a cool trick. <laughs> <laughs> so get all the girls. So they knocked all her teeth out, and then uh, they lit a fire and were asked her to renounce her faith or they were going to throw her in the fire. Wow. Well, she started talking, and they couldn't understand what she was saying because <laughs> they knocked all their teeth kidding. out. Which, which made them pause on throwing her in the fire <laughs> and denouncing her faith and gave her time to think about what to do. <laughs> My goodness. So it's, this is all like coming together, right? I've never heard this story. Yeah. Okay. It's weird Catholic stuff, man. Like you can't Catholic make this stuff. up. So what gave her time to think was, okay, what am I going to do? Because the last thing I want to do is denounce my faith. So, so instead of denouncing her faith, they couldn't understand what she was saying. She just threw herself in the fire without denouncing her faith, and then she died. All right. Does that make her a martyr? Yeah, they were going to kill her anyway. Well, it's kind of one of those situations. So in other situations where people kept their teeth... <laughs> they they would be able to be here loud and clear. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do whatever you want, or something like that. Right. And then they get thrown into the fire. I'm thinking of like um, Saint um, Agatha, who told the executioner who was shaking because of, I mean she's this little girl, mm-hmm. and he was about to kill a little girl, and she was and he she says, "Hey, just get this done. Be a man. Man up. Get this done." Right. Hot dog. I think it's that kind of gusto that that uh, Saint Apollina had of like. Look, you don't understand what's going on, so I'll just do it for you. I just mm-hmm. said, I love Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of his. Throw me in the fire if you want. You didn't understand it because <laughs> I don't have any teeth, so I'm just going to jump Here, in. I go into the fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'll yeah. do it for you. Yeah, she probably had a horrible lisp. Her voice changed. Her accent changed. They didn't understand what she was saying. Man. Gave her time to think, and then, you know, it'd be like at the edge of a cliff. Somebody's like, I'm going to throw you off the edge of the cliff if you don't denounce your faith, and you just jump. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, and there's this principle of that excitement to martyrdom or that willingness. So, in other words, martyrs aren't done violence. They're not passive victims, if you will. They're active victims. In other words, I willingly give my life, like Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Martyrdom, by definition, is that too. No one takes my life from, from me, but I lay it down willingly for Christ. Right. And uh, that's what she did. Apparently. How old? When I say how old was she, but <clears throat> that too. When was she uh, around? Uh, Apollina was... Uh, well, Pre-dentures, probably. Yeah, it was... <laughs> well, I mean, it all happened very quick. After <laughs> the early first couple of centuries, she was around. So it was during the persecution persecution of Christians in Egypt. Okay. Egypt, so, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so speaking about, you know, laying down we recently um, had a feast day of martyrs, like freely right? freely kind of as a martyr has free choice in like, you know, laying down their life for Christ and what they're doing. You guys know that there's an American born male saint, uh future saint that's up for canonization. Do you guys know? Father Stanley Rother? Yes. Ah. Yes. Father Stanley Rother. Never Roeder. heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> You've had you visit, visited a shrine. You went to Oklahoma, didn't you, on a retreat? I didn't even think to do that. And I, I didn't visit a shrine. No. So he's a priest from Oklahoma City. He was born in the U.S. So, from what I understand, 
is that there has not yet to be an American-born male saint. Correct. Yet. So there's been female American-born saints. Four. Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine Saint, Drexel. Yep. Saint Kateri Tekakwitha. Saint Kateri. She was born in New York, but she died in Canada. Um, Catherine Drexel, Elizabeth Ann Seton. And uh, wait, who's the fourth? Well, Dorothy Day is not a saint, right? No. I don't know who the fourth is. Huh. Why can't I think of it? Um, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, like there's, o- there's only one up for, well, yeah, so there's none yet, but he right. is uh, up for sure, have a few up for canonization. Canonization. So his name is Blessed Stanley Rother. So what you were saying is like a martyr freely gives himself. So he was a priest in Oklahoma City and started missions in Guatemala, ministering to the villages, bringing Christ to the folks in Guatemala. And there was a civil war there, a rebellion in the 80s. And he had come back to the States to visit family and just kind of like, uh, you know, fundraise for his missions and like, you know, connect back. And um, the Civil War was at its height. And, you know, people asked him, you know, not to go back. But he was like, no, those are my people. You know, God has given me those people to minister to. So he went back knowing that he was in danger, you know, as a priest, as an American. And uh, he was he was murdered by rebels uh, in cold blood. And, you know, so in a, in a way, like, like, he freely chose to go back knowing that, like, if he did lose his life, it was for the gospel. And he wasn't afraid for that to happen, which is pretty crazy. I mean, this is a guy who was in the 80s. Like, so this isn't like, you know, oh, wow. the year 100. Like, this is very recent. Very recent. And I think it's beautiful that he's also a priest because, I mean, you know, a layman saint is great. But when you have a... A country that doesn't have any priest martyrs native yet, there's a certain immaturity to our church because priests are our leaders. Like this, Christ ordains men to stand in his place as head of the church, you know? And he is a great example to priests in our country that they need. I mean, imagine being a priest in America where there's no American born canonized saint priest for you. Right. If you've never thought about that, like there's no one who grew up where you grew up. Who became a priest and is a canonized saint now think about like italy if you're a priest in the diocese of rome you got so many saint mm-hmm. philip neri i mean the list goes on and on to look up to and be inspired by but in america we don't have these so you know father stanley rother and bishop sheen who's his beatification has been postponed indefinitely but like these are examples that are, are i think so important for the priests of our country to be able to look to them because this is a guy who lived in our time who went through a seminary formation like they went through. You see what I'm yeah, saying? I mean, they had the same experience. seminary in mm-hmm. San Antonio and then finished at St. Mary's Seminary in uh, Maryland, which, you know, a, Mount, lot, of a lot of our priests people, went there, right? Yeah. Mount St. Mary's. I mean, he was ordained in 1963. I mean, that was, and then died in 1981. So it was, you know, very recent. You know, I think what is a great witness to the church, the priest, the story uh, hopefully kind of grows as his canonization continues and they're building a, a really big shrine to him in Oklahoma City. So if anybody's listening and visiting, you go visit that area. It's going to be um, like this beautiful shrine that's run uh, by the archdiocese. Anyway, um, <clears throat> is that he was a martyr, you know, and you really don't hear about American martyrs, 
you know, contemporarily, like, like within the last whatever, mm-hmm. you know, hundred years, you know, you just don't, you don't hear about it. Right. Um, cause you know, we're fairly safe and, you know, but he chose to bring the gospel to a very, you know, rough area and died, you know, doing it, you know, he didn't die of like yellow fever or whatever, which, which is, which would have still been horrible, but he was murdered because he was a Catholic priest bringing the gospel to people who they, he was bringing them hope. And that hope is what they wanted to stifle. The hope of Jesus is what the rebels wanted to stifle. And so they killed him. And I think that's another gift to our immature Catholic Church in America is, is a martyr. So those four women saints, none of them are martyrs. They live very holy lives. They live lives we should all imitate. But we have yet to have a native-born American martyr recognized as martyr to look to and say these are people that went to our schools, they grew up in our streets, they grew up in homes like I grew up, and they died for the faith. And all of us can look to him, and, and as he continues his canonization process, to let that become a seed of our faith. I mean, the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the faith, right? Mm, right? So we have to look to other continents to find that. Now, in our continent, people were martyred, but they weren't born here, and they, weren't, they didn't grow up in our schools. And You know what I'm saying? Right. This is someone who was born in America and went to school mm-hmm. like normal person, right? Um, the Catholic Church was caught in the middle of the Civil War due, it, due to its insistence on catechizing and educating people, which is awesome. During the conflict, thousands of Catholics were killed. Eventually, uh, Father Rother's name appeared on the death list for his safety and that of his associate. Father Roth, he returned, like I said, to Oklahoma and then went back, um, you know, just, he, he said, um, uh, that he, he just could not shepherd his people through that time. Like, think about that. Um, so, When we are talking about spiritual church versus worldly church earlier, I mean, here's a great example of spiritual church because every worldly wisdom would say, stay in Oklahoma, right? Like yeah, all the risk management. people choose to do that. Absolutely. And none of us would fault him for that, right? No. None of us would say he's committing sin. In fact, I'm sure a lot of his family were really upset that he chose to go back, you know, and didn't understand his decision. But that's something that I was kind of thinking about earlier is kind of characteristic of like a life for the flesh and a life of the spirit is that like by part of part of the nature of the flesh is that it seeks to preserve itself. And when we live according to it, like we'll try to preserve ourselves as much as we can, maintain the status quo, you know, continue the risk management and the and the health practices and whatever else to try to preserve our lives but the spirit is eternal and it's you know it's it's lasting and and we have ways to help i suppose to keep it alive you know and it, or ways to not kill it but it looks a lot different than a life of the flesh yeah like the fear of i think one of the things that dominates the flesh and that maybe will dominate our own discernment sometimes is like our fear of death in particular but uh, fear of harm, fear of injury, whatever it is, fear of losing people. And fear is just not a good thing to allow to, I guess, dominate your discernment. You know, like if it, if that's the reason you're choosing things, maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe that's not the right decision. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, what's here, you know, it's cool. There's so many kind of like things within the church, like that are sort of like secret the way they do things. Not so much in bad ways. Like, 
you know, how does a bishop become a bishop? We kind of know the process, but you and I don't get to like see it and be mm -hmm. a part of it, right? Like we don't get to vote or like put our, you know, a name in and, and then it kind of happens all behind scenes and, you know, like <clears throat> all that. But they actually have a website for Blessed Stanley Rother and, you know, the process of what it's going through. So you can like go through the website and you, like if you're interested in something like this, like how does someone become a saint? Like they just have it all online, like everything that's happening. You can actually submit a story of a miracle, like if it happens, and then they review it and kind of like will investigate it. The, you know, the whole process is online, which is kind of cool uh, that they have that. And, and, you know, it's like it's modern day, like it's happening right now, uh, which is pretty interesting. It's wild that we could be a part. I mean, we there there are probably in your hometown or somewhere nearby, there probably are people that are um, – venerable or or you know holy people that we can begin to ask for their intercession and, and begin devotions to in a sense we have a couple around here we have like three three yeah, three, yeah we, have, we have who do we got all Verbi three american citizens yeah <laughs> yeah verby lafleur yeah verby lafleur he's venerable now is he well or servant wrong? of god servant of god um he was a, he was in the military, mm -hmm. yeah, and he gave his life. So he would be a uh, he would he's being under that track that Pope Francis started. Which so we have the track of like holiness of life for for sainthood. Then you have the track of martyrdom. Well, Pope Francis has started a third, which is um, the giving of life. So if you give your life away in a particular way, but not as a martyr necessarily. So this is Father Verbis Lafleur. So he gave his life heroically to save other people, but it's not like someone had a gun to his head and said, renounce your faith or else, or, or they murdered him because he was a military a trap one, right? Right. And lost his life. Well, he was on a POW uh, ship. That's right. That had hundreds <clears throat> of people on it. And there was friendly misfire. Cause this is what they did with the Japanese. They marked it as like a Japanese ship, but it was a POW ship. And uh, anyway, so the U S shot the ship. It was sinking and he could have gotten out, but he chose to help other people get out, and he saved, I think, 70-something people's yeah, lives. Yeah, from here. And then he drowns. But, I mean, he gave his life so many ways before that moment, too, right. um, as a priest and as a military chaplain. So it's not just that one moment that makes him heroically holy, but that is the moment where... Um, so he's he's on that new path Pope Francis opened. He gave his life heroically. That's that crazy. So we have yeah. him in our area. Like you were saying, Chad, like probably, like, People wouldn't realize have in somebody. their own areas or dioceses. There's Someone nearby. People. Who else do we have? We have well, Charlene Richard. She was uh, 11 years old when she died of leukemia, and she had just an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and she gave her suffering for souls, and was a beautiful example for that. There's been stories of miracles from like people visiting her grave. Many, many, many. Yeah, just mm -hmm. crazy. They call her a little Cajun saint. No Cajun saint. And then uh, Nonco Pelafig. Uh, he uh, he was a single man his whole life, and he never married. And uh, he devoted himself to the spread of devotion to the Sacred Heart and Immaculate Heart throughout the area. Hmm. And he was a catechist. He was an Arsaider. Well, he didn't have RCA at the time, but like he helped people become Catholic. He was evangelistic in priority. So, like, I mean, you know, the door-to-door -door evangelization thing, he was the king of that. Um, he would go door-to-door -door and talk to people about how much Jesus and Mary loved them, you wow. know, and, and get them into a relationship with them. Um, and he was, he lived an, he lived a long life. So Charlene, very sh young life, <laughs> intimate yeah. with Jesus. Nonko, very long life, devoted to Jesus that whole time. And then uh, Father Verbus Lefer died in his 30s, but heroically, and, and in a way that we would recognize 
you know, someone who lay, did show that greatest act of love, laying down his life for it. So three great examples that are different from one another, you know? Yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. You know, and, you know, it's interesting. All of us are called to heroic sainthood, you know, to, to just pray and ask the Lord to give us the grace to live for him every day. Like, and, you yeah, know. And I think one of the nice parts about having these local saints and or even American saints or whatever else is that, I mean, the the I think the common excuse for you not to pursue holiness or for me not to pursue holiness is that my life just looks different and I have all these obstacles in my way and I'll never be able to pursue holiness because our world looks different. Like it doesn't, I can't go door to door like this guy went door to door, you know, or I can't, there's not a war for me to go fight in and give my life or I'm older than 11 years old. So, I mean, you know, um, but, or there's a, these all these things are my way and I can't model my life exactly like that, but that's just not true. Like I live in a small neighborhood, you know, and getting to know my neighbors is a really important thing. And, and you know, like we, we all have very similar opportunities to them. Maybe it looks a little bit different. Yeah. I don't but, really want to get yeah. my teeth knocked out. I'm not, <laughs> no, but I did. I have, I have lost some teeth, but as an adult, <laughs> honestly, with these braces I have on, I would like, all my teeth to be gone like <laughs> at this point that i'm well, not interested in being thrown out of fire either well i think you touch and chat on something that's an important aspect of this spiritual versus worldly life or fleshly life is that the worldly perspective is always like a long-term path to holiness even if we agree that being a saint is good being just and right and honest is good treating your <clears throat> wife well is good and your children well is good the worldly perspective is like this is a long-term investment this is going to take a while this is going to take your whole life to get there but the spiritual reality is that the day of salvation is always today like there's nothing in the way for me following jesus right now nothing like the saints do except my own will and my own attachments and this is what's exciting about great preaching is that you know when saints preach People are converted on the spot and become saints too. You know, like St. Bernardine of Siena, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, they would travel Europe giving these missions. Tens of thousands of people would show up, and then just so many of them, hundreds of them, would just go into religious life, just like that, (laughs) or go off to the Crusades, just like that. Why? Because these people who are spiritual people, in other words, they live a life devoted to the Spirit, were able to preach from that Spirit and inspire people that day to go follow Jesus. <clears throat> and unfortunately, a lot of times when we preach the gospel today, we, we propose a lifelong project instead, mm. of, instead of something you could do today, like this afternoon. This is what made St. Ignatius of Loyola so effective. His whole approach was, let's talk about your day that you live today. Now let's talk about how to follow Christ in that day, today, the rest of your day. So when he would meet people on the streets, that's what he wanted to find out. What did you do so far today? What are you going to do the rest of your day? Here's where you could follow Christ the rest of your day, today. Amen to that. That's a transformational lifestyle. That's a, <laughs> a different kind of YOLO, you know? <laughs> <laughs> a different kind of seize the day. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, look, Charlene did not have long. Um, you and I may not have long, or we might have a long time on this earth. Father Stanley Rother, he, he could have had a very promising career in, in Oklahoma at a diocese there, you know? But... When Christ calls, we follow and we say yes. And there's a saintly uh, reality to being all into that, that we either are doing or not doing. 
And if we're not doing it, it's because of us, not anyone else. It's not because the church is not strong enough. I haven't been led enough. My priests aren't preaching enough to me. I don't have enough programs. I don't. It's my own will, my own inadequacies, but basically attachments to sins. So if I'm willing to shed these off, then I could be a saint. Let's Amen. be saints. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back. Look, there's a pretty cool solemnity coming up this Sunday. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening. Got the full band back together. The bus is loaded up. Got a big... uh, (laughs) Join us. There's room. Big solemnity this Sunday. Mm. Big one. Mm. Big, big one. Right? Yeah. It's solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, or better known as Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. Like Texas. Like Texas, yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to live in a city that's uh, just, yeah, body of Christ is the name of the city? <laughs> We're well, kind of yes, used to I it am. down here because like, we have so many like, you know, parishes or, you know, for those who aren't from here, names. like parishes or, like or counties. Like counties. Mean, yeah. So like we have counties, parishes, cities named after saints. You know, mm-hmm. down here it's kind of cool. Streets, you know. So Yeah, I live in St. Martinville. You do, mm-hmm. which is after St. Martin. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. his town. Yeah, it's his town. Congrats, man. I want my own town. Yeah, so <laughs> traditionally, and I don't know where the tradition started. Maybe you can help us. If not, you don't know, actually. But on Corpus Christi, it's a big feast day, right? Like this is like central to our faith is the body of Christ, right? And we celebrate specifically on it. And for those of you who are listening, like if you ever want to kind of understand like just the connection of the Eucharist, the Old Testament to the New, like the readings on Sunday kind of kind of show that, which is kind of cool, you know? Um, and, you know, places it all together. So it's not like you know, mass is just some made up thing. Like this is connected to the history of, you know, all through the old covenant into the new. It's beautiful. Jesus brings it all together, right? Uh, through the Passover meal and institution of the Eucharist. So we celebrate that, the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ. But traditionally, I don't know when it started, is <clears throat> with a Eucharistic procession uh, for Corpus Christi, the feast of Corpus Christi. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember when this feast was founded and. I want to say in the past 200 years, but that's when the procession on the feast started. Like it, the feast was established with an encouragement to do public Eucharistic processions. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, look, preaching the gospel is, it takes on many forms. But there's a very unique form of preaching the gospel when we preach the Eucharist. And it's the form that it took in John chapter 6 with the crowd, where when Jesus preached the Eucharist, it was a sign of, scan- it was a scandal. People left the faith over the Eucharist, right? Or their faith was strengthened and deepened because they didn't understand it, but they were going to follow Jesus. So there's something very important about 
preaching the Eucharist publicly and reminding people that we're not just a, the church is not just a group of do-gooders that want to do good, but we oh, have funny a phrase. Sorry, yeah, we have a treasure called the Eucharist that is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ on earth. You know, we're not just a group of of educators and hospitalers, and we do those things. But at the center of all that we do is this treasure of God on earth in the person of Christ in the Eucharist. So 1264, Corpus Christi was uh, instituted by Pope Urban the Fourth. Nice. Does that make sense? Yeah. Urban. 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 Like Keith Urban. The first urban pope. <laughs> I wonder if Keith Urban. Is the fourth urban pope. The fourth urban pope. Is related, you know. Fourth I wouldn't, like if I was elected pope, I, I don't think Urban I, wouldn't be on your I list. I don't think I would take the name Urban. <laughs> but what name would you take if you were elected pope? Which is possible. Like, you know, it's possible to be elected pope. Joseph. Unlikely. Joseph? Pope Joseph. Is there a Joseph pope? The first? No. Pope Joseph no. the first. I would kind of just, you know, kind of man up and just keep my name. Pope Paul. Pope because Paul the seventh. Yeah. Yep. I'd just go for John the twenty fourth. <laughs> Look, slide in there. <laughs> I'm not trying to make a name for myself, guys. <laughs> you know what would be cool is like you know it was like Pope Paul the seventh, but you did like a football jersey. And you got nice. and you and you had like the number seven. Paul zero seven. Yeah. John the twenty fourth or whatever. Like right. Twenty four. Get rid of the whole Roman numeral thing. Mm-hmm. And go with like a jersey number. I like it. You mm. know, I so think you, in Italy it would probably be more like a soccer jersey. True, kind of trendy. So you're proposing that on the balcony of St. Peter's after we announce Habemus Popham, the first image we get of our new Holy Father is with the jersey <laughs> on, with their name, and then the number. Yep. Not in Roman numerals, but like yeah, zero the seven. jersey number. I, I like it. I think it's cool. Well, Roman numerals would be kind of cool because it's Roman, you know, and True. numerals. Yeah, but people don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm sure the Romans get it. I'm sure. But when in Rome? Yeah. Anyway, but like, like a, that's funny. Yeah. So anyway, it's the Feast of Corpus Christi. Well, so joke. 12 1264 by Pope Urban. Older than I thought. Ins- instituted uh, the Feast of Corpus Christi, which as Now it's saying, all coming back to me. The, yes, when it was established and then hymns were written that we still sing today. Mhm. Yep. So with with Eucharistic procession, which wasn't, I don't know when Eucharistic procession started or even like the idea of adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, right? Um, You know, we we can have a date of when it started, but I'm sure people maybe started doing it before we knew it started, right? And Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, the church. And that's sort of those grassroots things of like, hey, there's this church that's experiencing great movement of Jesus. What are they doing? They're, They're... they're praying before the consecrated host, right? <laughs> and and then it just becomes like this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's how like movements start in the church. Um, so Corpus Christi is one of those things where I'm sure like eventually the Pope got wind of is like that needs to be a feast day, you know, like this idea of like honoring the body and blood of Christ on a solemnity and doing a Eucharistic procession. Yeah, some kind of movement of Christ. Well, I mean, we see John Paul II instituting Divine Mercy Sunday, you know, and so I don't know. I don't know how that, what happens. I mean, I guess Faustina probably would have been a pretty big, so that's Jesus-led. Yeah. Well, a lot of times feasts are established to um, combat an error 
in the church or mm. an heir in the world. So like Christ the King, for example, is to establish, you know, have all these uh, worldly powers seeking to dominate, um, you know, whether it's Nazism, communism, whatever, like it's all flying around. Well, Christ is our King. So we've established Christ the King. Also another day for Eucharistic procession for that reason is like we go into the streets because Christ is the actual king of these streets, not anyone else. Um, yes. The head of these streets, boy. <laughs> yeah. These are Christ's streets. Um, but, but, yeah, but Corpus Christi, I mean, the um, the deepening of our relationship with the Eucharist did take on a, an important moment in the medieval time because, to me, Eucharistic adoration is a great uh, sign of the church at peace. When the church was persecuted for 300 years, you didn't have churches, like you had houses, Right. And I'm sure you had fragments of the Eucharist that might have been left o- that were left over to bring to to the sick or those that couldn't be at the mass at that house. And yeah, people adored it in between. But like its purpose was for the sick and those who couldn't make it to mass. It wasn't like there were adoration chapels where people who were healthy would go sit with the Eucharist. Um, at least not in an organized public way. But when the church became at peace and was no longer persecuted but rather celebrated, they built these huge churches. And what are you going to put in these churches, right? I mean, you're going to put the Blessed Sacrament for the sick and those that couldn't make it to Mass and to bring it. But then, you know, people adoring that presence of the of the Eucharist, presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And that's where a lot of these contemplative orders spring up from the Eucharist. Literally. So this actually started all out of a Eucharistic miracle. So in 1263, Father Peter Prague from Germany uh, was having doubts about the p- true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Um, and apparently at the time, there was a lot of theologians, Catholic theologians, who were kind of going along that route of like, mm, we're not sure if that's like really true. Mm-hmm. And he was having a lot of doubts. And so while saying Mass, he was praying with this doubt, and blood started pouring from the host. Mm. And uh, he reported the miracle to Pope Urban, uh, who at the time um, sent delegates to investigate the miracle and proved to be true. The relics were then placed in the cathedral uh, there where they remain today. So, wow. and then he, that, that was the, the springboard, the spiritual, you know, like movement to be like, whoa, like mm. we need to reestablish the reality of the body and blood of Christ is real and we're going to have a feast day. So like as these doubts, and that's how the church responds when there's doubts in the world, they, you know, the church should spiritually respond with like a boom. Yeah. So maybe tying things together, the movement of the church, Christianity itself is not maybe a movement of humans per se, but a movement of the spirit. Like even the, the feast of Corpus Christi is a movement of the spirit, God acting. And then the Pope responding to the movement of the spirit. Christianity is not a human movement. It's a movement of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit and God the Father acting in our lives um, and not a human movement per se. And so, and maybe that's the way we live our lives, right? That's the importance of the, of the procession of Corpus Christi. It interrupts our day. It interrupts the flow of traffic and everyone who has their busyness on a Sunday uh, and lets them know that Christ is here. No, I love that. I mean, the Eucharist is an interruption. I mean, it's because we're talking about the difference between spirit and flesh, living a spiritual life versus a fleshly life. Well, the way to spiritual life is through the flesh of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's an interrupted flesh. It's not the flesh like you and I. It's a resurrected spiritual flesh, but it is flesh like you and I. So, like, he has lived a life like us, except w- without sin. He, he is one of us, but at the same time, he also is God. 
And that is the Eucharist, right? It's the body, blood, soul, and divinity that interrupts our life, interrupts the flow of traffic, yes. and allows us to live a spiritual life. So go process this Sunday. Amen. Well, great show, you guys. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in. Feel free to share the show on iTunes, Google Play, however you listen to it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. And for all our listeners on the radio, God bless you.